Hello, Dave. How are we doing? All right. Good to be here. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to see you. I hope everything is well. Uh, it is Wednesday, um, November 8th today. Uh, and we're here for Deering Life, a very cool, uh, fun episode as we barrel towards episode 100. A few weeks ago, we set ourselves a target. We wanted to get to episode 100 towards the end of the year. And this is episode 97, which we're very excited about, which means, Dave, quick math, how many more to go? Three. Three. That's right. And in and amongst those three uh, is the very talented Yasmin Williams, who will be joining us in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, so stay tuned for that one. She's an incredible player and a very unique player in, in her own right, which is uh, really exciting. We're going to be talking to her, and the rest will be revealed as soon as we feel like revealing them. Can't give too much away. Uh, right, a couple of announcements before we get into introducing our guests. So we are still running the uh, gig bag promotion uh, on Artisan uh, model good time banjos in the US. So if you buy an Artisan, uh, you can check out uh, the promo on the web on uh, dealingbanjos.com um, and claim a free gig bag. That's uh, for the entire month of November in the lower 48 states of the US. Um, and then probably the most important announcement for those of you that tuned in an episode or two ago, you have been joined by none other than Mr. David Banjowski, uh, talking about Tana Banjo. Dave, that was a good show. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, but we, we mentioned a certain single coming out Yeah, called El Campeon, and that comes out on Monday the 13th, next Monday. Monday on all your favorite streaming platforms, I assume? Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. And you want to just share any information about that particular one, what it's about, what the recording process was, or any of the, the what, 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 it, what, we, what can listeners expect? Well, I, it's, it's a traditional jazz instrumentation. It was recorded here in, in Buenos Aires, and it's doing a, a, a an arrangement of a uh, Pacho Galan tune, which is a Colombian cumbia composer. So, very cool. too. Well, I look forward to hearing it. He hasn't given me any advance or anyone here any advance warnings on this one, but uh, maybe you know, maybe you want to email it across so we can prepare for Monday. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I think that's what we got as far as the top of the show. Shall we meet our guest? Let's do it. He's waiting patiently in the wings and is ready to uh, have some fun. So today we are thrilled um, to be joined by Rex McGee, one of the most creative and technically able players on the five-string banjo alive today. Although his full-time day job has kind of kept him largely anonymous from uh, a larger audience, he is here today on Daring Live uh, because he's known by three-finger style players all over the world. Uh, he's a leading innovator on the instrument. He commands a great deal of respect for his performance skills and his much sought-after composing and teaching skills. Even our own Ryan Kavanaugh, when we asked him recently, said, I wouldn't be the player I am today if it weren't for Rex. So without further ado, let's please welcome Mr. Rex McGee. Hello. Hey, how are you, Rex? I see you. I hear you. I hope you can say the same for me. We can. Uh, we we see. We hear. We got through soundcheck just fine. Everything's perfect. Don't touch any awesome. buttons. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure to have you here. And uh, and a day's so gonna. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure to be here. I, I I did a normal work day today and get to come home and hold the banjo for a little while. It, it always makes things better. Um, I um uh, for years I've always told my. Uh, 
any students or anybody asking me about the banjo, you know, what, you know, if, what, what to do, where do I start? And I say, save your money so you can at least afford a good time, you know? Um, so if you can't, if you can't get a, a during good time banjo, at least, you know, just save your money for a little longer. You know, you'll save yourself a lot of headaches in the long run. So um, I've always had an affection for Deering and a, a great pleasure meeting, uh, you know, the family and, and David this year at IBMA. So um, very much an honor to be here today doing this. It's a pleasure to have you, Jonathan. Quick note, uh, make, make note of the timestamp on that nice little uh, mention there. <laughs> thank you very much. That was great. We'll, uh, we'll <laughs> and uh, thank you. That was very kind. You didn't have to say sure. that, but um, that was that was really um, welcome. We, we, we really value the opinions of teachers in particular um, uh, who are really trying to help their students do better, and that's kind of what the good time's all about. So thank you for, for saying that. That's great. Um, top of the show, tradition. Uh, you want to open us up with a little tune and uh, let's get a sense of what your, your playing style is. And then uh, Dave's going to take over with some sure. hard grilling questions. Very good. No softballs. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, you are aware that Mark Twain said a gentleman is someone who knows how to play the banjo, but doesn't. So, you know, so, uh, you know, we got you. So I guess I'm no gentleman if I proceed yeah. any further at this point. You know. I don't think we all are. Sounds great. Thank you. It's a little hard. I'm having to hallucinate the rest of the band behind me as, as typical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really great to have you, uh, you know, it's, uh, have great to meet you at, at IBMA this year. And, um, you know, you, you're truly, you know, an inspirational player of mine and I know a lot of people, so it's, it's great to kind of get to know you and, uh, have this chance to talk with you. Well, finding out that you're a tenor player, you know, my, my earliest banjo experience was my, a uh, great uncle who played the tenor. Oh, wow. And yeah, so that that's what I thought a banjo was until I was about 12 years old. I didn't really make the distinction between four string and five string very much. So, 
Yeah. And and how'd you get started when you when you made that distinction? Like how'd you how'd you get started? What was those beginnings there? Yeah. So um, again, my my grandpa, who's an old time fiddler, his brother uh, Will McGee was the house banjo player at where I, at a restaurant that I grew up playing in. You know, cute little kid fiddle stuff. I would had some little shtick that I would go on stage and play a little classical piece, then a little country, and then I would change the same piece. It was like a Mozart piece you changed into bluegrass eventually. So, so I did that, and so you know he. Uncle Willie playing the banjo with a pick all the time had a big, you know, frailing like traveling or 12th Street rag, sort of a 20s and 30s popular music style. Um, we got to a family reunion whenever I was about 12 and and there was somebody playing. I still don't know who that was, but they, they played three finger style and it really just sounded electric without being plugged in. And it, the, the metal picks just caught my ears. I, f I soon found out that a different cousin of mine uh, played some three finger banjo, Steve Easter. He's a a cousin that um, he directed my our grandfather to a banjo that wasn't being used and I, the condition was I could have the banjo if I would learn how to play it and so um, I actually still have the banjo so cool I didn't give it back so and how did how did you learn how did, when you were playing you did you have um did you have teachers around you and did you have yeah. did you go books and things yeah. like that? I would have been 12 in 1982. Uh, I pretty quickly, I think Steve may have gotten me to the Earl Scruggs, the black book, you know, the, the uh -huh. um, Keith yep. Scruggs book. So, you know, I, I had about three or four of my favorite tunes that are there. I absolutely drove my parents crazy learning, you know, just hours and hours a day. And, and so maybe six months into that, we got to some lessons from David Seaver and Craig Smith in Winston-Salem, which is about a 20-minute drive from where I live here um, at the foothills of the Sartown Mountains in Stokes County. So I, I was taking lessons from both of them at the same time, getting a little bit of different viewpoint on the banjo. And um, it wasn't too long after that that um, I started, you know, deep diving. I was saving my money to buy uh, LPs. So... Records uh -huh. were a thing in the mid '80s, and I, um, I actually had a couple of eight-track tapes, an old Newgrass Revival tape with Courtney Johnson playing banjo, and I really liked that. I became very personality-oriented with my learning, uh, just wanting to kind of clone each individual's sound. It was a little bit like a mockingbird might learn, you know, the um, bird calls. I was really trying to figure out what made like Ben Elridge tick, and then um, Bela Fleck, Bill Keith. Uh, Tony Trishka, um, and was quite fortunate to make personal acquaintances with some of those people in 1984. Uh, it was a very big year. 84 was the year that uh, John Hartford came to Greensboro, and, and I got to sort of meet him and see him play up very close. And, and then um, I, after that, Fred Boyce, who's a great classical player, um, ran the Prism Coffee House for several years there in Charlottesville, Virginia met him at Camp Haynes that year in the fall and just a month or two later met Bela at Green Acres which was um, you know, Steve Metcalf's music venue in that day and right after that um, Tony Trishka came to Winston-Salem and I got his Hot Licks for Five String Banjo book um, I think that was 84 it could have been 85 but mm -hmm. it was all um, those were it was, uh, immediately gravitated to a lot of northern non-traditional banjo players after the Scruggs book so, so what what do you think was it in the music that that drew you to some of these non-traditional players rather than kind of staying deep in the tradition where you're from? You know? that, 
that house band that I referred to, it was a piano, um, electric guitar, a tenor banjo, two fiddles, an acoustic bass. And so it wasn't really a bluegrass band to begin with. Mm-hmm. I, have, I had a sister who was an accomplished like classical performance major uh, on, on piano. So she was playing a lot of, but she also learned a lot of jazz. And, and so she, she had jazz fusion albums going on at the same time. She tried to give me a Jean-Luc Ponty album whenever I was 12. Wasn't too interested in that whenever I was really into the Scruggs. But I came back like three or four years later to her and said, have you ever heard of Jean-Luc Ponty? You know, I'd already, and she said, I tried to give you that album, you know, it's a couple of years ago. So I was hearing all that stuff. Both of my parents played music. My dad played a lot of uh, gospel quartet style piano or country backup accompaniment piano. My mom read music and played popular stuff like would buy sheet music somewhere mm-hmm. over the rainbow. Um, so my grandpa was the one that was steeped in the old time Appalachian, typical Surrey County, Stokes County, fiddle culture although he obviously listened to a lot of radio music and uh, from the 20s and 30s and and so his repertoire also had some of that popular music of that time mm-hmm. i heard uh I, early into it i i got a um some dixie land recordings uh pete fountain one of my first right. transcription things was like transcribing some Pete Fountain stuff because I'd read somewhere where Earl Scruggs had said Pete Fountain was a favorite musician. Uh-huh. And so I, I really liked tablature. I would back the day when you could mail a few dollars in the mail to somebody and get a piece of tab back. I used to do that, you know? Um, and so I, I liked to write it and I, I would, was transcribing, you know, some Bela Fleck solos, some Charlie Parker saxophone solos, Pete Fountain clarinet solos. Um, it, it was all, I, I mentioned I had a, a, a knee disorder as a young teenager where I couldn't, I was a pretty good athlete, but I was advised not to run track and, and do a bunch of jumping for a year or so. And, and I just poured on the banjo. Uh, the weekends would be right. at a 12, 12 or 14 hour marathon sessions. You know, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those, that's when you mentioned Pete found those, those transcriptions, I've done that too. I, I had a good guitar teacher way back said, you know, transcribe Pete found cause there's, it's just, the lines are very clear and then very yes. melodic. And so it, yeah, it's not exactly, I mean, Miles Davis wouldn't think much of it. I mean, everything yeah. lands on a, on a first, a third or a fifth, you know, right. yeah. but you learn your arpeggios, you learn major sevens, right. you learn um, diminished, all the, um, you know, extended harmonies are, are there in, in, in that. And um, most of the time, that's what I want to listen to. I don't want to always be... In, in Tritone City, you know. So. Right, right. And and so, yeah, you were. How did you kind of stay focused and not? Because it sounds like you have a lot of influences of you know all over the place. But did you? How did you stay focused and actually do a deep dive and not just kind of touch things and and kind of scratch the surface on different things? I think for a long time I probably did sound very unpolished and rough and and compared to some players I, I think of as being high, highly hygienic, perfect, perfect players. I still don't feel like one of those, but um, I, I, part of what I would do, I would like to write songs that would teach me how to do what I wanted to do. So if there was something I couldn't do, I would turn that into an etude, you know, basically a study. I didn't really realize that term at the time, but um, so if there was a new technique I wanted to learn, I would just 
I have a natural sort of composing impulse to try to maybe take something that already exists and, and change it just enough to where, it, you know, I could claim that it's something that I came up with. But the older you get, the more you hear everything you think you already came up with. It's it's really all somewhat out there in some form or other. But I think composing was a, a big way to try to focus on on various uh, elements that I was listening to. And when you're composing, you're as you're what, like 16 years old or something around this time when you're starting to compose 15 and 16, I, I have some notebooks from school that like chemistry notebooks where instead of my chemistry formulas that were in there, they're, they're like hand drawn tablature that I'm doing in, in chemistry class. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, that was going on at, um, yeah, 15 and 16. And you would kind of compose and, 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 and write it down as tab versus, uh, musical notation. I did, yes. For banjo, I, I have continued to prefer the specificity of tablature, you know, telling you what string, what fret, but you mm -hmm. know, I can read it. I can read notation on the banjo within the genres that are fairly easy. If there's a lot of dots and rhythms and rests, I don't, I don't read that music very well. I had to do some transcription for a wedding I played, um, last weekend and, and it was on fiddle on violin. I play fiddle as well. And I actually read music better on the, on the fiddle, but again, mostly what I read well is stuff that's in the, the traditional folk styles that I like Irish, um, and Southern folk and new England folk styles that when we get, you know, tie bar ties that run over bar lines and then a, then a do double dotted rest or, you know, I mean, I, I have, I can, I know the system to figure that out, but it's, if I can just hear it once, you know, I learn it a lot better than, than trying to, to decipher it. Right. And your uncle was, was an old time musician. So did you learn, um, did you learn that whole old time repertoire? Okay. I'll say the uncle that played the four string banjo more or less played in that frailing oh. sort of, yeah. Now, so right. my grandfather, the old timer, he was the one that played, and again, he, he, he forgot more songs than he, he knew is what he would told me. He seemed to cycle through about the same eight songs all the time. The, the top hits, you know, Soldier's Joy, Arkansas Traveler, Mississippi Sawyer, Flop-Eared Mule, yeah. Sally right. Gooden. You know, he and, you know, by the time I came along, he was in his late 70s, upper 80s. And he, he had condensed down to the ones he wanted to play, you know, and he was very much an entertainer who commanded the stage and commanded attention, didn't really throw solos out for other people to do. If I strayed above the um, fifth string too far, man, he was not liking that. He wanted me to play the banjo down here. So yeah, he didn't go for all that. You know, if that was happening, he would probably take the bow and swipe at me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, you know, you're getting, you're listening to a lot of different stuff. You're transcribing stuff. How'd you get it onto the banjo? How'd you, how'd you get, you know, these other non-traditional styles that you were hearing and figure out how to get them out of the banjo? Well, um, so Lots of times I like to try to just play along with LPs, recording, recordings that I had. You know, I did the whole thing of tweaking the keys sometimes by, um, you know, putting weights on the on the on the LPs. Um, but also, I mean, I, I, there was a few people around growing up that were had similar interests. So um, Clay Jones, a guitarist, and Wayne Benson were um, mandolin players that we all sort of shared the same 
Fiddler's Convention scene as teenagers. And they were into jazz too. So I really loved it when I could get with some like-minded people to like do my um, originals with them and um, to work things up. But if you don't do that stuff all the time, I mean, it's, I, I ran into Tony Williamson when I was about 16 years old, the mandolin player, and and he, he lives in Siler City. And I, um, I asked him, do you know Donna Lee? You know, mm-hmm. and he says, he said, what key? <laughs> and I said, A flat. And he said, go, you know, and so we we made our way through Donna Lee. But it's the kind of thing since there was very few occasions to do that. And I didn't really, you know, drive the, trying to make more. The business side of things wasn't wasn't my interest. So I, I didn't draw a big enough a circle around it to where I would, okay, I'm going to have my core jazz tunes and, and ensemble to go take it out there. Or, um, you know, classical music, I really started listening to a lot of that and trying to do a few adaptions. I, um, I remember there was a an arrangement John McEwen had put maybe in one of the, it was in Tony Trishka had included maybe in one of his books, um, a McEwen transcription. And uh, so that got me to thinking about doing some uh, Bach adaptions. And later I'm, I'm, you know, heard John Bullard and, and did a few of my own pieces, uh, selected some Bach stuff. And that's, that's ongoing every year. I'll probably try to come up with a new, maybe a, a little two part invention that I, plan on somebody to, to do it as a duet with, you know, I've done mm-hmm. it with my son and, and a few of my students, we've performed some of that, that type stuff. So you mentioned you're still kind of working on that. What do you, yeah. What do you kind of, other than that, what do you kind of work on when you pick up a banjo now, when you have a little moment to kind of, what, yeah, what's, I, what do you, I, what's, what's your kind of go to now when your moment to kind of push yourself yeah. a little bit? Well, I pick up the phone and hit voice memos and I'll record a nugget. I, I, I still tend to think of the, the only things I really want to hear myself do are original things. And, and there's an impulse maybe to do a, another or major original project fairly soon. I'm hoping, um, yeah, within the year I would like to sit down. So I've been collecting a lot of stuff. So I don't know. It's just things I'm, I try to catalog in my mind the things I've already heard other people do. And if either just through noodling or, you know, if I hear something that I feel like note somebody else ha- I have not heard, then I try to make note of that. I'll take a voice memo, try to develop mm-hmm. it, you know, um, maybe move it around uh, some different keys and different banjos. I, I also um, keep some banjos strung low. I, I, again, a, a major thing I did years ago was start tuning in fourth tuning around the time I was 30 years old. So it's kind of a major break in my banjo life is remembering whenever I only played in G tuning. And then whenever I more or less said, I'm only going to play in fourth tuning. I spent several years doing that. Now I'm, I'm switching back and forth a little bit more. If I go to a jam session, I don't necessarily like to impose, um, my own, uh, crazy interpretations of, standard Earl Scruggs pieces. I'd rather play them on a G tune banjo and just right. try to execute. Yeah. So it's, so. So when you play in fourth tuning, is it DGCF? Yeah. Or... Yeah. So the, yeah. D D G C F G. Right. Okay. And, and you can play, can you play standard like yeah you, you actually can yeah it 
it changes everything, but you know, it's there. But then meanwhile, yeah. you, get, you get the flexibility of, of uniform chords. Everything is very symmetrical as far as scale patterns and, and chord patterns. Uh huh. What made you go? Like, what made you go this route? Was there like a jazz guitar player that that inspired I was aware you? That, I was aware that Stanley Jordan tuned that way, but I think I was just really looking for a way to make it impossible to do a lot of the Scruggs cliches. Uh -huh. Because I, I got to a point where there were so many banjo players where I live that, and so many very good ones, nothing to take away from their quality of playing, mm -hmm. but, but they seemingly just don't think about what they're playing. And it's just mm -hmm. the content was always the same cliches. Every song ended the same way. The, the mm -hmm. feels in between the vocal lines were always, you know, you're, um, your classic licks and so i i wanted to try to force myself into inventing some new ways to approach playing bluegrass but also the fact that i play was playing a lot of irish and a bit of jazz here and there I, it it um it just worked out good for those kinds of music too to be able to play in different keys it's having the f um, it's good for some of the jazz things and the hornpipes in, in irish too um, it makes for playing in B flat pretty nice. So uh, it gives me two other keys that have the potential to sound bluegrassy too, if you want them, um, mm -hmm. without capoing. So I guess also I'm just late. I'm bad to lose stuff. I and mean, capos always never seem to be in my banjo case when I needed one. So, <laughs> so, yeah. And do you, cause you're always playing, you're, you're spending a lot of, putting a lot of energy into, um, into creating original music and playing, you know, playing in fourth tune, just doing your own thing. Do you have, is it hard? Do you have time to keep your, or do you even try to keep your um, your vocabulary of the original of the of the standard repertoire of the you know the five hundred tunes that you yeah, you know, every not, banjo player needs to know? Um, not not very systematically. Although I mean, I'll get a hair every now and then. I hear a really good banjo player that inspires me. You know, there's a there's some very good young players coming along, and I think to myself, can I still do that? You know, and I'll get a banjo right. out and I and I'll find out where the problems are. For me, usually, like I say, it's hygiene. It's like cleanly executing a pull off or something whenever you're not doing a lot of those things and or just um, um, you know, control of sliding quickly or, or it's just so I do from time to time you know and um, I thought for the 97th um, episode here today we, we could have a little um, version of the wreck the wrecks of the old 97 if you want to yeah let's do it that here. Let, me, let me grab a, a g-tune banjo do that So I, I just put down the uh, the Deering Sierra that um, I, I really enjoy playing for, uh, you know, that's maximum um, dexterity. I mean, it's like set up really well to play fast and to to um, have a reliable, consistent tone from top to bottom. And and lots of times I'm going to play bluegrass. I might reach for this banjo, which is a very special uh, Gibson Granada reissue that my dad gifted me at 18. Yeah. Um, as a high school present, uh, graduation present, and uh, so yeah, 
Yes. Are you hearing that? Okay, um, we'll do, yeah, the train medley. Let's do that. G-tuning. What can you say about it? It's yeah, does it? Yeah. You can you can jump right back and forth. It doesn't it doesn't throw you too much. It, it's kind of like picking up a different instrument. You know, once yeah, I yeah. strum it, and uh, you go, your mind goes there. So playing guitar, mandolin, fiddle, and all that. I'm, my, I think it, it would be a good piece of advice for students that want to learn one instrument to um, try some other instruments and also try some different tunings. Um, on your on your instrument once you get to a certain point of development, but um, I, I find myself sometimes for a, a creative exercise like a, I've got the idea to write some original pieces on on the fiddle, which you, maybe you could say some violin solo works. That sometimes what I'll do, I'll get a thought of a pattern that I use on the banjo in fourths, and just mm -hmm. try to apply those fingerings. On a violin tune in fifths, and you get some really wild stuff, man. It's like, it's like, I mean, I'm not really well steeped in the modern classical violin literature, but it sounds to me like some stuff that you know. Okay, this is this is not your usual Beethoven Bach style, you know, violin sonata. It's so I um I have some impulses towards uh, yeah, just cross pollinating the different instruments and in different tunings. Be, because you play fiddle, you know, and it's in fifths and, and you're playing in fourths a lot on, on banjo, um, do you think about it as upside down, the fourths as upside down fiddle? There's that there's, there's a couple yeah. of tenor banjoists that think of it as as Don Vappi and, and thinks of that as if he plays bass yeah. and he says that. Yeah, so fourths is like a bass. So I, if anything, yeah, I'm... I, I never really try to think of it as, oh, I'm going to do everything backwards. I, I don't do that. Okay. But I, do, I, I fall into it. One thing I've liked in recent years is playing guitar and, and drop detuning. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole set of chords. You know, if you're familiar with like the um, guys like John Doyle on, on mm -hmm. Irish accompaniment style. So learning how to progress through diatonic um, patterns, uh, the major scale patterns, with your chords in drop D is, is a very nice thing. You, instead of moving your fingers very quickly, your fingers barely move, but your hand is constantly moving to jump between these positions. It, it's, it's a real mm -hmm. style that's like that a lot. And so I um, also like to do drop D on guitar. Well, and actually having a, I've got a five plus one banjo, a six string banjo mm -hmm. that I like to drop 
you know, and have a fifths interval on the bottom and then fourths intervals on top of that. So it's, it's sort of like a drop D analogy is what it would be. And so, and that's another tuning I can just fall into. My, my brain does kind of split the strings. I think the low strings, okay, you got fifths right here. And then, then my fingers just fall into the pattern of fourths once I get to the, to the higher strings. So. Right. Right. Well, we have some questions coming in on, on the uh, chat. Right. So I want to get to some of these. We have, uh, Regular viewer Alan Jones saying, "Hi Rex, if you play fiddle, do you also play tenor banjo? Irish tuning is the same as fiddle." I wouldn't claim to, although I've been having a couple of my buddies uh, look for me a, a decent tenor that doesn't set me back too too many bucks. I would I would like to have a tenor. To um, I, I do a uh, you know a St. Patrick's Day show every year, and lots of times I'm stuck playing fiddle on it. But I would like to have it to also for one thing to show my son who plays guitar very well. Um, you know, some of the rhythm ideas that happen in Irish tenor playing, I'd like to get him going with that. Um, but myself as well, I, to use a thin pick and to try to, to do, um, the ornaments with a flat pick as opposed to the uh, finger style, it appeals to me. Hey, I'd like to have a little tenor. All right. Well, we'll talk later then. <laughs> yeah. I bet you just so happen to have a closet full of them, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, let's see, we have Jujito, um, saying when, when do you consider a song slash tune to be finally ready to be played live after how long of study, after how many repetitions, yeah. what is your method like? Well, I like to sort of test myself before I commit to doing a certain thing. And, and the older I've gotten, the less picky I am about having it perfect. I think people some secretly like to see you have a, have a few flaws in there. I don't really like it. And it, I'm not a natural public performer, honestly. I, I could, the fiddle's very easy. I can slip into more of an entertainer mode. The banjo, actually, I take it a lot more seriously than the fiddle. And it's, if anything, I mean, I get a little more nervous, like trying to execute on the banjo than I do on the fiddle. So um, I, I will record myself as one, one answer to the question that I will. And if I can get through something all the way, I guess 95% there with, um, with different kind of mistakes popping up here and there instead of the same mistake. You know, if I, f I feel like that might be the point, if it's a three minute piece of music and I'm, and I'm, and I make a mistake a minute and it's a different mistake every time, then I, I can live with that, you know, at, at this mm -hmm. point in life. If I was going in the studio, I'd want to polish it up and, and try to do a little more, but for live, yeah, 95% is my answer. So talking about like the, how you, feel more like a little more comfortable just playing fiddle as an entertainer um versus five string banjo is uh i find that on certain instruments certain instruments where five string banjos i have to be the most warmed up for um and, if, and because there's no real room for kind of it's hard to just muscle through where if i'm flat picking an instrument i can kind of i can kind of muscle through if, if everything's not flowing just right you know um, yeah. a lot more. Do you find that? Is as true. Well? Absolutely. I can grab a fiddle out of the case and pretty much be loose and ready to go in five minutes. Um, ideally today when we were solving our little technical glitches, I would have had a, you know, a good 30 minutes to kind of warm up and I, I didn't really, you know, get that, but it's, um, yeah. And actually the banjo is just such a personal thing. I really have a, almost a, a feeling that nobody wants to hear what I really like to hear myself coming out of my banjo. And that's, I know it's not true, but it's a, it's one of those, um, complexes, I guess, psychological issues, you know, I've, what I like to hear 
probably does isn't the best way to play banjo. I think we all come back to for for three finger style. It's hard to beat what what Scruggs did and what you know JD Crow did. Those things are they really you know fill up a room that that mm-hmm. three finger style. So doing Irish stuff or jazz stuff on it is kind of in, interesting from an intellectual standpoint, but it's it may not be the best utilization of what a what a banjo sounds like. So. Right. Somebody yeah. that somebody that's just going to listen to banjo for thirty minutes, they don't want to. They probably want to hear thirty minutes of, you know, jamming out, you know, with um, Scruggs repertoire. If that's all they listen all year long, for me, you know, somebody that's constantly it's nearby, that's not what I want to hear. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but you created an album, Twenty Four Creations, for solo banjo years ago that I can put on, and this is rare for a a banjo banjo album where I can just put on and, but, and, you know, I can really dig into it and listen to it deeply, but I can also just listen to it and, and do like, and do other yeah. things. And, and it's, it's just solid music. So you've, you've accomplished that there. Um, had I'm you... glad you think that, you know, I've, 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 I've had people are usually very polite and kind about, about that, that recording. And, um, but I do remember one notable incident where, you know, I, a, a guy that was had the adjoining office to where I was teaching lessons when I was so proud my CD came out and I said, I want to give you this, you know, and he, and he said, man, I love banjo. I love it. And so a couple of days later, I saw him say, so what'd you think? He says, well, I didn't really like it. <laughs> Just had her, he says, I mean, I'm sure it's really great and everything, but that's not the kind of banjo playing I like to hear. And I'm like. <laughs> you know, <okay. laughs> so whatever yeah but he was he was looking to hear something traditional yes, yes, expectations yes. of something um so what's your process for going go, creating that because that it really is a great record and then also did you remix it and re-release it recently i did it i didn't really do it yeah, I went ahead and got it ready for streaming platforms for the 20th anniversary of its recording, and so that was re-released. And because I didn't, you know, CDs are sort of a th- relic in some ways. I I, I did want to. There was a little part of me wanted to do another print, but and I may at some point. But um, it, you know, the fans of that kind of music are spread throughout the world, and and quite honestly. CDs seem to be functioning as a memento of coming to a concert these days. It's like a tangible thing. So unless, um, but the process was I had a Roland VS uh, 1680 recorder, which was a fairly cutting edge thing for a home studio to have in in the late nineties. And um, I did my first trip out West and seeing landscapes that, that were inspirational. And um, when I came back, I, I just, I had a, my job was kind of stripped down to part time at the hospital at that point. I had some days um, on my hands, and I just put myself in a room and and just I would come up with an idea. I think I, I want to have different textures on the banjo. So if it was something like you know, incidental noises, there was a lot of you know um, playing with different objects. You know, I don't see. You know, I played with pencil on there. There was a bowed piece. Uh, so I wanted to try to find every sound the banjo could make, you know, good, bad, and ugly. Uh-huh. Um, um, and also take it through um, recognizable genres. I wanted to try to encapsulate 
you know, Bela had expanded the repertoire vastly by the late 90s already, and it was, it could have been me trying to think, are there any things that he hasn't touched on possibly? There was, there's a little bit of that element. Mm -hmm. I was always think, thinking that because, you know, there's definitely a kindred spirit with what, what existed before. We, I, I mean, I met Bela when he was a, before he was 30 years old, and I was a, a very young teenager, and, and he was very generous with his time always. And, and so, that was in a being a personality oriented learner. I wanted to learn what made him tick and then see if there was any air left in the room, you know, to, to come up with some new things. By the time I was 30, that that's where I was at with it. I wasn't re uh, transcribing every album that he came out with or, or other banjo players. I, I, by that point, I, I might would listen a little bit to other banjo players, but I was really trying to consciously think what, what do I sound like? And if you remember what I said about wanting to learn new techniques, working them into original tunes, a lot of what you hear on that album was were things I wanted to be able to do better. And quite frankly, never some of it never got developed more than it is on that album. But there's maybe one of these days life slows down and, and I can even go back and listen to that and find some things to, to push a little harder on. You know? mm -hmm. And so what is it about as an artist trying to just like you, you know, always find your sound and, you know, you aren't do a lot of banjo players fall into the, the thing of, you know, of, of trying to sound just like another banjo player. And you've really, you, you know, you've learned, seems like you've learned from these players, but you haven't tried to just copy them essentially. And, uh, but just as an overall artist, doesn't even matter what instrument you're playing, how important mm -hmm. do you think that is? Whipple played for so many different. I mean, it's hard to question it. Uh, I think whenever you say somebody's an artist, though, you, am I still there? Yeah, yeah, you're here. Hello. Hello, I'm here. I think I just yeah. lost your audio. I'm, are you? I'm here. I can okay. hear you. We can hear about you. Now? Yeah. Yep. All I'm good. Not hearing you though, Dave. Just keep going. So. <laughs> I can keep talking, but I'm not going to hear your question. So yeah. keep talking. Okay. Keep talking. Is it on my end? Do I need to change something? Or it might it your be end? your AirPods lost your battery. Here, there's a chat. Oh, I see something here. Connect. It lost the Bluetooth connection. Now, now you're back. All right, there we go. There, there we go. I'm sorry. Um, so we're, we're talking we're, about finding your, your own sound and, and the importance of that. Yeah. So again, different people do this for different reasons. I think once you call yourself an artist though, then you, the, the notion of creativity, which is to me always making something that doesn't exist. Um, being a producer is like, I mean, why would somebody want to do a paint by numbers Mona Lisa? Maybe you get some technique down. Yeah. But um, yeah, eventually you want to paint a different woman. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. Um, so if I, if I write a tune in a scrug style, um, I, I want to have maybe something, some different combination of scrugs elements than other people have done before. I might want to, um, yeah, just have unexpected turns. And as far as why, why other people maybe never have a drive to do that, I, I don't know. They, they may be focused on things that I don't focus on. So, mm-hmm. Right. And, and how do you stay? I know when I've in my own head, um, sometimes I think maybe I'm not 
I'm trying to do original things because I don't want to put the time in to, to be a perfectionist about, you know, getting a transcription all the way down or something like that. It, that's my own little personal. Do you ever have that sort of psychological game in your head or have you have you noticed yeah, other students yeah. kind of doing this where they're maybe they're being lazy and that's their originality or or there's, vice versa? There, yeah. there's something about saying this is finished and this is perfect. This is complete. Yeah, I think I have a little problem with that, too. I mean, personally. So it's like um, so. Yeah, the unfinished symphony type, type of syndrome, you know, but uh, um, I don't really know where to go with that, except to say that um, you can always change something later. If you don't, if you think I, I still go back and use snippets of things that I used in other pieces. And I think all composers have done that. If you can listen to 1500 different works by Bach, you're going to hear a lot of recycled themes and a lot of recycled um, melodies, harmonies, and orchestrations. So. Um, you've been a mentor for, for let me mention, you know, being a mentor for Ryan um, at the top of the show. You've been a mentor for a number of other um, banjo, banjoists in the area. Um, who, who, what, what are some other banjoists you've, you've, you've you kind of um, yeah. been around that have gone on to become, you know, professional musicians and, and what do you, how do you, what, how do you kind of, what do you kind of try to sh show these yeah. younger musicians like they don't have to be younger, but these other musicians and, um, and you know, where, what kind of, what's the importance of that to you? Yeah. I just saw Edere's mom chime in there, Yvonne. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at him. I, I have not really had lessons with, with Edere, but um, you know, I, I kind of watch what he's doing. I think he's a really solid guy that, that people, everybody's going to know his name as a banjo player within a few years. He's, he's, um, Ettore Bazzini just down the road here in North Carolina. Um, if you haven't talked to that guy yet, he's, he's somebody that you should put on your radar, you know, um, there, you know, Ryan was a high, sort of a high profile when he came to me when he was like 13 or 14 or 15. I actually didn't met him at that point in time, but uh, we didn't have lessons until maybe he was 15. I think he came back to the area after moving away. And, and man, by that time, his chops were already extremely good, you know. And then he went away again and called me on the phone from Pennsylvania. And, he, and then by that time, he was beyond what I could do on the banjo technically. And it was... And but we became friends after that. So there's there was also Andy Thorne, uh, who plays with uh, Leftover Sam, and he was in college at UNC uh, Chapel Hill. He he hung, he was hanging around. I, I moved back down there where I, when I met my wife, and so there would be a lot of banjoists come to my apartment. There, Joe Troop, who is sort of an international yeah. um, star, you know, on, on the banjo. Um, he, he they, all these guys were in their late teens and I was about 30, 31 and, and was hosting an Irish jam in Chapel Hill. And my apartment kind of became a banjo's ground zero with Ryan, Andy, Joe, myself. And I'm sure there's others. I'm, I'm just not remembering, but, sure. um, um, and then not on the ban only on the banjo, but like Mason Vi, who's playing with the old Crow medicine show. Now he, he came to me initially for guitar and mandolin and fiddle lessons and actually took very consistent lessons for about three to four years until he 
went off to college and next thing I know he's he's on the road traveling and playing so he's he's another high profile student although maybe not necessarily banjo you know. and what how, how do you what's your kind of process for inspiring them and teaching them well having a good student makes you a good teacher so the, the process is to try to figure out a little bit of maybe what they don't already do naturally well and just kind of dig in on that, that rock in their shoe a bit. So if somebody's, uh, you know, if I see inefficiencies in physical technique, you know, if they're flopping their fingers around a lot or if they're, um, uh, you know, falling into some sort of a timing habit, you can tell that it's very consistent. You know, say so every time you've got to use your, Pinky, you know, the, I notice you fall off the click track or something. It's, so observation, listening to them play, giving feedback. Um, it's more than just say, go learn this song and come back and we'll play it. But you, you've, if you're going to be a teacher, you've got to make where criticism feels comfortable to the student too, that you're not just trying to tell them they're no good at this thing. You've got to, to make that a fun challenge. Like, okay, you know, you can get it one out of every five times. Let's get it down to where you're getting it three out of five, four out of five, then every time cold. Now let's speed it up. Mm -hmm. So there's all those various elements of music um, that, you know, ultimately makes you into a rich, complex, worthwhile to listen to type of player. Uh, you, you can rotate through any of those on most any, anybody and come up with something to focus on. Can we, we'd love to have you play another tune right now. Would you like to play sure. something? Yeah, yeah. Let me grab the uh, low banjo. This is one that, talking about composing, I like the added range whenever I'm working on something new. And so let me grab that. Okay. This is an old Aida, Lida, Jida, whatever you call it. I, I think... Uh -huh. um, it's a five plus one during the uh, six string banjo scare of the eighties the after Rocky Top, you know. Uh, they and, and I've tuned it very low. Sometimes I'll tune it a, a bit higher than this, but maybe kind of a baritone banjo tuning, you could call it. This is a, a D, A, D, G, C, G tuning, so.
Very cool. Just something, yeah, that was kind of a bit improv, a bit something I'm working on, but yeah. What do you, what, yeah, how does the, the low tune banjo, what kind of, what kind of things come out when you pick up that, that banjo? Is, is, is it something different or is it just? Yeah, I tell you what, I, I listened to a lot of Brazilian music in the last few years. So I've been kind of going more towards um, things that can uh, allow the range of some of the, of the um, bandolim uh -huh. uh, and uh, the uh, seven string guitar players that uh, Yamando Costa. Uh, and I mean, there's we, we recently had um, Baji Assad on the Martha Bassett show. I want to shout out to Martha and her show, which is one of my regular gigs every other week through the season from February through to, to October. Um, she, a fabulous Brazilian guitarist. And, uh, and, you know, there's been, that has been an interest. So sometimes I'm just trying to learn, have an instrument with the range to, to do these broad melodies that occur. So, and having that that tuning helps the chords to you know I can much more distance. Brazilian watching Jijito who asked you a, a question earlier. Oh yeah. Hey Jijito again. So yeah, send me some good stuff. Um, I'm always looking for what's happening there and I, I feel like there needs to be a little bit more banjo in Brazilian music. And if, if I could just get all these kids raised up and out of the house, I'll have some peace and quiet and I'm going to dig into it in a, in a more respectful, serious manner. So when I've, I've been to when I've been to Rio one time, and there's a ton of banjo in in samba music. There's a, there's a okay. it's it's a four string banjo. It's like a it's it's like a nylon strung tenor banjo almost. It's you know um, we'll have to have um, our Brazilians chime in, yeah. but it works so really of, well. I did one of the sh the um, um, shoro pieces. Um, Uvu de Mushka a few years ago at Martha's show with Fiona Burdett um, of the Dan River Girls, um, you know, a, a family of three uh, sisters that I've loved to. I taught them, and they've uh, they've continued to um, develop their music. And that so I did a little duet with her, and, and that's. But you have to stay on top of that stuff. It's I guess if you do it over and over, it's just like any other repertoire. That that might be like a piece that's like. Foggy Mountain Breakdown is to a, a guy around here playing the banjo. But. Right. Yeah, you see those Shores pl players when you know, it's just jamming, and it's it's impressive, you know. But but yeah, I think you're right. There's a repertoire, you know. It must be better coffee down there, I guess. <laughs> uh, let's see. So we have a question from Julie Colton saying, "How do you learn to play fast?" Well. I, I do think inefficiencies are the enemy for a lot of people, Julie. Uh, you know, if you, so I notice students that maybe when they're focused on these two fingers, you know, other fingers in the left hand are start creeping away down here. Whenever, if you're follow through or your setup point for strings on the right hand, you know, if you find your hand moving away from the string, you want to try to stay compact here, compact here. 
Um, you know, you shouldn't be flailing all over the place. So efficiency is one thing. And then maybe just doing something simple over and over and over. I, I, whenever I was in junior high school, would fall asleep in class and yet my fingers would still be twitching according to reports, you know, that I'm hearing from people say, you used to fall asleep in class, but you'd, you'd still be sitting there doing that right there. So um, muscle memory, learning to do something slow um, and just just gradual, gradually pushing it. Have, have a time in your practice where you're just thinking about speed, not necessarily accuracy so much. So, you know, if I'm... If I'm thinking about cleaning up something, I'll listen to, okay, the pinky's lagging a little bit, you know. You know, coordinating the two hands, there can be some muscle, um, some conscious effort thinking fun pinky, you know, that these two go together. So you, there's a lot of just coordination tricks that you can, add to your arsenal for getting faster. Okay. And, uh, and then we have a question kind of going back when, when we were talking about your fourth tuning up from uh, Wavy Gravy, uh, saying, Rex, do you find yourself playing out of chord forms much in your fourth tuning? I do, yeah. So um, like in this banjo, these strings are fourth. So if you know major scale theory, you know, you've got a, that's a major pattern. The minors are going to look like that. And then the oddball seventh one always. Right here, yeah. So that's very transportable to number of keys and, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's uniform and little portions of it are uniform across the strings. So it's the same as and an octave up. It's all there. So it's fourths does simplify all that, I will say, you know, um, and you, you sometimes you'll just find yourself going to the right place naturally because of that uniformity, whereas maybe in, a, in, in other tunings, it, it may not do that. Uh -huh. Yeah, when that uniformity when playing like tenor banjo, that was after playing five string and guitar, you know, see, knowing that each like a shape, a chord shape on three strings would be the same shape that, you know, the next three strings over sort of thing and starting to see that kind of opens things up. It does. It, and, and chords and, and melodies the same way, you know, it's, yeah. so I'm not, I'm not on a big crusade at one point in time, whenever all those guys were living around me, when I was 30 down there, we, we had a good run of a lot of people right there playing stuff in fourths. And I thought maybe this is kind of a new school, but um, you know, it's, it's very, it takes a lot of work to make bluegrass banjos sound right in, in this tuning work that I still don't think has completely been done. And maybe somebody will want to do it and you'll have a whole new body of, repertoire of tunes yeah um, for fourths you know, so well what are some things what are your aspirations in the future going forward and where are some things you're working on you know well 
again, if, if you think three parts, you know, composing, teaching, um, and, and just performing, you know, it's, I'd, I'd like to use the banjo to help me travel. I haven't quite seen all the places in the world that I want to see. I did make it over to Germany with my wife for a, for a special anniversary trip last year. And so, so there's places I want to see, and this is kind of my ticket to go do it. If, if I go someplace and I don't have music to play, it feels like I've left something behind. So I'm not a very good tourist otherwise. So I found myself taking my banjo to odd places, to, to castles and stuff where they, you know, because I just didn't want to leave them behind. But um, so using the banjo as a, you know, as a, as a ticket to travel a little bit would be great. Um, Teaching is the way that's important. I've still got um, children that I, I try to continually offer, you know, more music to them as they want it. And, and they'll, they'll come and go through cycles. There's my son is, is pretty um, well accomplished as a flat picker on the guitar. And he's he's already somebody that, um, you know, I struggle with not wanting to um, distract him from his college studies now uh, very much, or um, I would love to just nothing more than to have him here all the time working with me on, on new music, me training him up, you know, selfishly in some regards, it's, it would be easy to, uh, to do a lot of the duet pictures uh, with um, somebody that I had total control over, you know, the, the way that they learned. And, and um, uh, so, uh, Teaching, uh, having a handful of good students always keeps me sharp too. Makes makes mm -hmm. sure that I'm not just BSing my way through a lot of stuff. Um, the composing side of it, like I said, I think I want to have another. I've got at least one more serious opus in me of of, of a number of banjo tunes. Although I also want to still look at some of the other instruments, see if I have anything original to offer on on the fiddle and. The guitar, there's so many people out there. I enjoy playing it, but it's more of a social thing. I, I will pick it up whenever I'm tired of playing banjo and fiddle. Somebody else wants to play banjo and fiddle, and I can. But um, so, um, yeah, there's a little bit of performance uh, impulse that I want to continue as well. And you mentioned you earlier about you possibly a, a, uh, a recording that you'd like to you know, finish up in the next year. So is that this, uh, like a, another solo banjo piece that you're just saying, or is that a group effort? I'm not totally certain that in some ways the logistics is, is the most easy as a solo thing. I think I'm leaning towards that, although it may not be purely solo. It may be a, a little less solo than, than 24 creations was, but, mm -hmm. um, but I really haven't started except for collecting all these snippets and, um, just knowing that next year is the 24th anniversary of the 24 creations. It's, okay. it's kind of kicking, kicking my butt a little bit to come up with yeah. 24 more, you know, at least. So, um, cause that, that album is still, you know, holds its water. And, and I think, well, you know, I'm not an Olympic athlete. I, I, I think there's some ways my technique has improved since then. And I could maybe express or c compose some things that are better, but also just the ravages of time and just joints that feel a little stiffer, a little more painful and, and, and the uh, neurology behind it, you know, trying to make coordination. It's not as natural as it was 15 years ago, even I'm, I'm now 53 and you can see why, uh, yeah, your Olympic champions are, are in their twenties. You know, there's yeah. something physio physiological about playing that, that's a reality there. Uh -huh. 
Well, um, you're also, you know, you're still teaching a lot and you've taught, you've taught a, a number of players that have gone on to other things. Who are some young players that you'd look out for now? That, you know, yeah, so and, I, I just mentioned um, uh, Ettore Bazzini, so I, I think everybody should be aware of him. He's got, he, uh, all his, uh, he, he does a lot of very traditional banjo playing, but he's got more than that in him for sure. He can, he, he will be able to do whatever he wants to technically and, He's a great entertainer. Uh, I think he's only 15 years old. And so he's, Ed Ray's on my list of people I think you need to watch. I met, um, I met Carson um, at IBMA this year. I'm trying to remember his last name. Carson Moore. He's great. Carson Moore, yes. Carson was great. (laughs) And so we'd never met. And so it's like, I said, I'm Rex. And he said, oh, I know your stuff. So I'm thinking, oh, this is the guy that's like I was to Bailey. He's like already absorbing what everybody else out there does by the age of like, 18 he will have everybody else covered you know technically and and um but he was just he was also just a very fun kid to talk to you know? yeah so he's I great th- i think i think we'll all know who he is in in the upcoming years um another um so lucia sullivan who i think won a deering banjo there at, at rocky yeah. grass this year i met her this year at rocky grass she's really good okay she's really good she uh kind of my brother who is a champion mandolin player Ralph McGee, he he was teaching those um, Lucia and Soraya before they moved off to Chicago, and uh, their parents are are saxophone players uh, and and very good ones, and and so uh, Tamer, the father, travels playing some pretty avant-garde saxophone music, classical music, okay. and so I think she, you know, she's got the right ingredients there to be a quite a contributor in the new vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, on the banjo and so she she was coming around for the galax fiddlers convention um every year and and so we always meet up here she's friends with my daughter and they um so there's there's a handful and, and i'm sure there's many more that i i just can't on the spot right know, yeah, yeah yeah right now but i see one more i see another question i want to get to um is chris wilson says rex you know i have to throw in a luthier question how much does yeah. the material tone wood selection, scale length, their neck shape play to the sounds or styles you're looking for? You know, I'm more of somebody that just tries to adapt what I do to whatever the instrument is. Um, Chris is building some great guitars from what I can see. And so, and, and he's not necessarily somebody building clones of old Martins. So mm-hmm. they, anything that's, a little different can bring out something different in you as a musician. It's a wider neck might make you try to um, think about doing a different fingering or a different melodic line. Actually. Um, I was noticing on the Deering when I, when I play on the the Sierra, once I realize, okay, I'm in my hot rod as far as the now, as far as it's a, it's a smaller neck and it's, it's a very fast neck Mm -hmm. that if I was trying, if I was thinking like an Olympic, speed skater that would be my speed skates you know it was like and so and if say if i was going for something that had maximal volume i, I might pick a different instrument you know mm-hmm. but and then you might have something that has a balance of, of all things but for luthiers i'd say um you know it, it might be important to work directly with somebody a custom builder um would be able to sort of get what you're looking for a little bit in those regards. If you're looking for something um, more tone focused, I tend to think mass helps tone on instruments. So 
you get something that's thinner. Um, it may be a little easier to play and maybe more exciting to play, but uh, there's, there's a happy medium in there too sometimes. Right. Well, I want to bring Jamie in uh, if he has any questions and any questions from the chat I've missed. Um, no questions from the chat that you missed. You were very, very on top of that. Thank you, young David. I have a question, though. Um, you mentioned just, just off the cuff just now, mass tends to play a role. What are your thoughts on top tension instruments? Cool. Um, I, I've only played a couple of those, and I, uh, I get the whole practicality issue. Man, that if you're a professional playing 250 days a year, that's probably not the thing you want to do if you want to not be in a wheelchair by the time you're my age. So I was yes. very tempted to pick up a, to acquire a top tension and the difference, I felt like it performed better than any one, any, most any other banjo. And of course I've played, um, let's see, I've played a few of the newer modern Gibson manufactured okay. top tensions. Um, I don't know at the end of the day that's worth the trade-off, you know, as far as the other issues. If you're just, it might be like a studio banjo, but if you're if you're not playing it enough to where you meld with it, why would you just break that out for the studio? I don't know why you would right. do that, but um, maybe a bigger guy that's super strong and super fit, maybe that is for them. But uh, well, you know, I mean, they should come with a, a gym membership or something, right? Just so you can they develop the core as part of the part of the routine. Uh, I don't think I'll be quite happy till I've got a good one here in the house that I could use for, uh, you know, for maximal sustain, maximal volume, tonal spectrum. You know, that would be be nice to have one. So, nice, very cool. That was I sold one of my five children for one of those nice old um, top tensions. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also curious, just for myself, I think more than anything. Um, you know, we touched on some of the guys that that have kind of come through your your teaching doors, if you will, um, including Ryan and uh, um, Andy and, and those guys and uh, Joe Troop, you know, they've all gone on to be really prolific players. Like it must give you like a pretty big like sense of performance and pride to know that you maybe played, a, a, even if it's just a small part in their, yeah. kind of shaping their... The, 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 a little bit, a little bit, but it's clear. I think the reason maybe they were more attracted to that sphere was because we were all alike, not because I was any better necessarily, but that we all had that same um, sort of impulse towards doing something besides just mm -hmm. standard North Carolina banjo thing, you know? Um, yeah. And so maybe a bit, I mean, they've gone on to do so much. It's I've, I've probably learned from them as much as they ever learned from me, honestly, at this point. Yeah. It's just good to see them succeed, right? It is. I mean, it's like I, whenever I see them show up in an unexpected place, they, yeah, I can tell you some funny stories about us hanging out, you know, here and doing this, you know, some of the, <laughs> the, the, the life story stuff that goes on. And, but, um, no, I mean, it's, it's a really, it reminds you that it is a small community of uh, extreme banjo players. So, I mean, you know, there's, I, not it, it has to be kind of a friendly competition if you're if you're trying to carve out a space for yourself as a as a um, you know a creator in, in on the banjo it's, it's absolutely which I think all of those guys are you know yeah 
I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, we had someone asking earlier on, um, are your albums on uh, Spotify or Apple Music? I did verify they're definitely on Spotify. I assume they're on Apple Music. Yep. Excellent. Yep, those two. The Cripple Crunk was a project based on live recordings that I did at, um, or, or got together and recorded at Galax every year. And um, yeah, so Cripple Crunk, I have physical copies still like that. And oh, yeah. yeah, probably not showing up in the glare here. It's very glossy. It's a glossy, glossy, it's glossy. glossy, gloss, gloss. But yes. I still have those. Yeah, I have those at home and they're they're on the streaming platforms too. And um, it's very different. It, it shows, shows me playing um, with a group. Um, so yeah, um, one, one physical CD purchased equals several streams. So yes. hit me up for a Christmas <laughs> present if you want to, and I'll, I'll, I'll send it your way. There you go. There you go. And, um, are you taking students right now or are you kind of capping off the, the teaching? Not, not really actively. I mean, very rare. I just added somebody recently, but I, uh, I, uh, it's very limited. I'm not looking to do more than I'm doing right now. I think in the, in the future, again, as more kids get out of the house and I can slow down with the pharmacy career, I've been a pharmacist now for 30 years. It, mm. That sounds like enough to me. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd like to be, like to be a more of a banjo player and fiddle player going on out. It's not unreasonable. Um, where can people find you if they want to see you online outside of the Spotify? Do you have a website anywhere? Yeah, I still have the rexmcgee.com. Um, Boom. Yeah, that, that'll get me right there, um, as long as I've paid my uh, hosting bills and all that stuff. So yeah. there you go. Send me another dollar or two there to keep the tech tech up and running. There you um, go. I also I play, again, my, my usual seasonal gig is as a sideman with Martha Bassett, and she has a, a great show locally here in Elkin. So any locals that are listening, come on out to that. Um, I, I usually get a feature um, a few times through the year, and so it's a... It's a banjo-friendly show. Excellent stuff. Very cool. Any final thoughts, words of wisdom before we part ways today? I, I, I think I'll head head on out to Foothills um, Pub and have a sandwich and a, a, a few fiddle tunes tonight. We're gonna. Uh, I usually meet up with some my, my brother there and ca catch up on the on the going down locally. Nice. So, excellent. It's stuff. been a pleasure. I, I want to thank thank the Deering family and. Um, consider myself a part of it in some ways. It's, uh, I, uh, I'm always glad to um, visit the uh, trade shows and see y'all at the booths and hope, I hope to get to see you in person again soon. Definitely. Yeah. We'll be around for sure. We'll stay in touch. Dave, any final uh, thoughts before we get ahead out here? Yeah, this was fun. It was great, you know, great getting to know you a little more and great, uh, um, hearing you, you know, talking with you and learning about, you know, you, you know, your, your banjo, you know, everything that, going through your head and with banjo um well hopefully you want to play a little one more i'll play if, yeah i'll do a little bit soon.